Yeah, we all want a comfy Christmas. We all want that. We want Christmas to feel comfortable, to feel familiar, to feel to feel like home. We try. You know, if, if if you have the home that you have now, you chances are you're trying to make the home you have now feel a little bit like the home that you grew up in around Christmas. We we have our traditions. We have the the thing where we eat the same food every year, go to the same places, spend time with the same people, because that's just kind of what we do. We want Christmas to be comfortable. And while it's fun to, to, to pursue comfortable at Christmas, one of the things that we've been saying over, over the course of the series, and the, the, the name of the series is a little bit of a bait and switch, because at the end of the day, what we know to be true is a life based on chasing comfort doesn't really lead to anything good. That God, what we've said through the ent- entire series is this, that God is not ultimately concerned with your comfort. That, that while, we, while many of us think like, well, man, if I can just get comfortable, if I can do this, I'll be comfortable. If I can do this, I'll be comfortable. God is not ultimately concerned with your comfort, and God is not ultimately concerned with my comfort, which is good news for many of us because many of us have faced moments where life got uncomfortable and where life got painful and life got rocky and life got difficult and relationships weren't going the way we thought they should have gone. And the good news of that is that when you are uncomfortable, it doesn't necessarily mean that you have done something wrong. It doesn't mean that you have gotten the relationship wrong. It doesn't mean that God, that God is displeased with you, what we are finding in the middle of the Christmas story is that the people at the heart of the, of the events of the very first Christmas were incredibly uncomfortable, and they were right in the middle of God's will for them. So you can be incredibly uncomfortable and be in the middle of the will of God all at the same time. And so we've said, if God is not ultimately concerned with your comfort, what is God ultimately concerned about? And two weeks ago, we began by looking at the story of Mary and, 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 and the fact that Mary surrendered to God. We said that God doesn't want you comfortable. God wants you surrendered. That God wants you to come to a place like Mary did when her world was turned upside down and when she was given news that was just absolutely unbelievable and literally unbelievable. Her response was not, I don't know if I can do that. I don't want any part of that. Her response was, God, whatever you say, okay. If that's what you want for me, yes. If that's what you want me to do, I'm in. If that's where you want me to go, I'm in. That God wants us to come to a place like Mary came, where we would simply say, God, whatever you want, yes. Wherever you want, yes. However you want, yes. Whatever you want me to say, I'll say that. That God wants us to not be comfortable. God wants us to be surrendered. And then last week, we looked at the idea that God doesn't want us comfortable. God wants us to be patient with his promises. And waiting for all of us, waiting is uncomfortable. Waiting is is uncomfortable. The way that you know waiting is uncomfortable is that five seconds that I just paused there where you were waiting for me to say something else, it felt uncomfortable, right? And so waiting is uncomfortable and God will oftentimes have us wait and he's, and he's made a promise and he said, this is gonna happen and this is gonna happen and this is gonna happen and here's what I'm gonna do for you, but it hasn't happened yet. And so we find ourselves waiting and waiting and waiting. And many times in the middle of our waiting, we look to something else, we look to someone else, and we look away from God to an- for answers that only God can give. And what we said last week is instead of looking away from God for the answers that only God can give, let's be patient with God and keep our eyes on him, keep our attention on him, keep our focus on him so that we can see when he fulfills his promise because God always fulfills his promise. So God wants us patient with his promises. And so that's kind of where we've been. And today in the final part of the, of the series, I want to, want to ask you if, if you've ever had one of these moments where, where you asked this question, if you'd put the question up on screen, it's the question, should we be concerned about that? How many, just raise your, your hand. If you have ever asked that question, looking at something in life, like, should we be concerned about, anybody ever asked that question? Okay, some of you guys, most of you guys, some of you guys are like, I'm not raising my hand, but yeah, I've been there. That all, we, we, we all and often have these moments where we're looking at something happen, watching something happen, looking at someone in our lives, do something that's kind of out of the, out of the ordinary or out of the normal for them, and we see it happen and we go, 
Should we be concerned about that? I had one of these moments uh, last Saturday. Um, last Saturday was, was one of the first days where it got like kind of cold in our house. And I'm from Wisconsin, so 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 cold for me and cold for Jalen are two very very different things. She's she's the person that like if it's 99 degrees, I'm okay. If it's 99 98, I kind of need a light sweater. And I'm like, if it's 40 degrees, I'm probably still going to be wearing shorts. Okay. So in in our house, it was one of the first days where it got cold enough for me to like want the heat on or some some source of heat. And it was kind of getting towards, uh, towards dinner time, and so Jalen was bringing some food home that we were going to cook, and she had called and said, can you turn on the oven? Can you start to preheat the oven? And I said, I know how to do that because I'm fancy. So I said, I, I, I can go turn that on. But I was also a little bit cool, so I went and I, and I flipped the light switch to turn on our, our gas fireplace in, in kind, of the, kind of the back of our house. And it's one of those like, gas fireplaces, little glass thing kind of covering it. And I, I went back, and I was, I was working on feeding our, our, our little baby, Marvel, and I was feeding her her bottle, and she was all looking cute. She was like, you're the best daddy in the world. I was like, I know. And so, and so, we, were, so, we, so we were doing that, and all of a sudden, I started to kind of smell something, and I, I was like, and I had that thought of, should I be concerned about that? Should I, like, is that, is that bad enough that I should be concerned about where that smell is coming from? And for about five minutes, I thought, no, probably not. And it kind of kept getting a little bit worse and a little bit worse smelling. And so I thought, okay, there must have been something in the oven. And I didn't look at it. I didn't realize it, but there's something in the oven and it's starting to like overheat or cook or something like that. So I, so I, I set Marvel in her little swing and I went and I opened the oven. There was nothing in the oven and I realized the smell wasn't coming from the oven. So I thought, okay. I don't know what, what, could, what, what this could possibly be, so I'm just going to go back to feeding, feeding Marvel. And I went back, and the smell kept getting worse and worse and worse. And so I went back to the oven again, and I looked, and I was like, there's nothing going wrong with the oven. And I, as I turned around, I glanced over at the fireplace to, un, to, to realize that our two-year-old had pushed her, she has one of those little plastic shopping carts, and she had pushed it up at some point, uh, like right onto the glass of the fireplace. And so while, so I look at it, and I see this pink plastic just dripping down the face, the glass face of the fireplace. And I think, oh no, that's one of my daughter's favorite toys, and now I'm the daddy who just burnt it to, you know, like now it looks like the nightmare before Christmas. And like, I mean, it, like it's just dripping down. And so I turn off the fireplace and I kind of like try to scoot it as, as, as far as it can go. And I'm not like, I'm like Jalen says, she's like, we'll have to sand that down. I'm like, no, we'll have to cut that off. And so, so like that's, it's just dripping. It looks like fangs. It looks like some horrible creature in some horror movie on, on the shopping cart. But then there's this plastic that's now like liquid plastic on the face of the, of the glass front of the, of the, fireplace. And so I, I kind of, I'm like, I do what, as a man, I think I got to solve this problem now. And so I go and I get a metal spatula and I come and I like get as much of the liquid plastic off as, as I could get. And I, and I didn't think ahead of time, oh, I should move the garbage can over here. I, I grabbed it and I was like, all right, I'll walk to the trash can. Meanwhile, it starts to drip off the spatula. And because I'm a, a smart man, I think I can't let that hit the floor. I got to catch it. So anyway, so I have a blister the size of, of Texas on my hand now from when I caught the burning hot liquid plastic and, and, uh, and, and, and we're trying to, you know, help Noble feel okay about how life is going and believe that daddy is, is out for her good. And, you know, but like we all have those moments, don't we, where we, we smell something, we see something, we hear something, we go, should, should we be concerned about that? Should we, should we be concerned about the smell of the dripping, burning plastic? 
yeah, I should probably be concerned about that. Should you be concerned about the, the, the guy that your daughter brought home for Christmas who kind of has an almost mustache? Like, should we, should we be concerned about that? Maybe you should be concerned about it. Should we be concerned about the fact that that Santa doesn't smell like meat and cheese? He smells like bourbon. We should probably be concerned about that. Like, should, like, we should, be, like, should we be concerned about the fact that grandma says she can't find her dentures and we saw the cat playing with something earlier and now we can't find the cat? And like, should we, should we be like, yeah, we should probably be concerned about that. Should we be concerned about the fact that, that, that mom, I mean, if, if you've ever gone home and, and, and seen your mom's DVR and it's full of Hallmark Channel Christmas movies and it's full of, you know, like all those movies where someone, you know, magically moves to a, you know, moves to a hometown, or their, their hometown and they walk into a little store and they meet this guy and his name is Chris or Nick and all of us, like, like, and, and, like, and your mom has all of them DVR'd at the same time. Like, mom's a little too into those movies. Should we be concerned about that? That. Should we be concerned about like this guy that's wearing a red coat and he had a white beard? He fell off of our roof. Should we be concerned about that? Yes, you should be concerned about that. Don't put on his coat though, because that's how you become Santa Claus, and then you have to marry your son's principal. It's a whole ordeal. Like, should we be concerned about that? We all know what it's like to see some of those things in life where we just go, is that is that something that I should get worked up about? Is that something that deserves my attention? Is that something that deserves my heart getting like really worked up into this? Is that something that I should lose sleep over? And most of us know what it's like to look at something in life and have it grab your attention and shake your attention and we get concerned about things. But here's the thing that I think we all also know. Most of us get far too concerned with things that are far too little. Far too often we get far too concerned with things that matter far too little or things that are far too small in our lives. You, you know this. This isn't, I mean, this happens at Christmas time. This happens at the holidays. But this happens throughout our daily lives, doesn't it? I mean, when you, when you look at things, there are things that do not matter as much as you make them matter, right? For some of you, you have gotten bad haircuts at some point in your life. And when you got the bad haircut, you went home and you, real, and you thought, my entire month is ruined because I got a bad haircut. Has anyone ever had that happen? Like, you got a bad haircut and, it, it like, and in your mind, it just ruined your, like, it ruined the next week. It ruined the month. I remember one time in college, I was too poor to like to get a haircut and this girl said that she that she had cut her brother's hair one time and I thought that's perfect I don't even know your brother I don't know what his hair looks like but I'm too I'm, I can't afford a haircut and I need one and I'm just t- like she took shears and one side the shears stopped here and one time it stopped here and, and the other side it stopped here and my hair looked I, I don't even know what it, I, I but I remember thinking this is the end of my life. Like I, like, I don't know what's, like, no one's going to want to date the guy with the off-kilter haircut, you know, like that, like, it was just, you know, this is so terrible. And it, was that a big deal? Not really. But in the moment, it seemed like such a big deal. Uh, that business deal, it was good, but it wasn't great, and I needed it to be great. So now my holidays are ruined. Or my Christmas bonus, I was expecting it to be super big, and it was only like kind of big. And so now we can't go on the vacation that we wanted to go. And so it was, you know, it was good, but it wasn't great. And so it's like, oh, now, you know, now things aren't going right. That driver cut me off. What a jerk. Oh, that driver coming out. I heard a story one time from a pastor, and I, I tend to think this isn't true because it was a pastor who told it, and, 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 the, and, and they tend to, the, this pastor tends to exaggerate stuff. He said that he got cut off one time by a person in traffic and then quickly realized that the person who cut him off in, in traffic had the bumper sticker for their church on the back of his bumper. And so he's like, oh, no, this person cut me off. What a jerk. They go to my church. So he followed them for like a half an hour to go wherever they were going. And he said he ended up in a Home Depot parking lot. And as soon as, like, Park next to him. He's like, hey, just want to let you know, you cut me off and you were being a jerk. And then he stopped and thought, 
and so am I, so I'm going to stop. But like, like we, we work ourselves up into these things. We're like, oh, this is such a big deal. This matters. This is a big deal, and I have to do something about this. I'm concerned about this. I'm concerned about this. And here's why I say far too often we get far too concerned with things that matter far too small. We just do that. We blow things up in our mind. We blow things up into things that, like, this, doesn't ma- this matters, but it doesn't matter that much. This, this, is, this is important to us, but it's not important in the course of the world. This is, this is like a, a thing, but it's not a big thing. We, we, we far too often get far too concerned with things that matter far too little and with things that are far too small. And he hasn't called back and she hasn't called back and they haven't called back. And I can't believe, they, like, do they hate me? Do they, do they want me dead? Like, like, and we blow things up. And the thing matters. That bad haircut, it matters to you, but it doesn't really matter in the, in the scope of life. That, 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 that you got cut off in traffic, it matters, but it doesn't like really matter. The, 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 car, the drop-off system at the school being bad, it matters, but it doesn't like really matter. What, the, what, what your mother-in-law said about your shirt, it matters, but it doesn't like really matter. And so here's the thing. For many of us, we, we get far too concerned with things that just really don't matter. And so part of me today, you know, if, if you're hearing this, you're thinking, okay, I know what this message is going to be. This message is going to say, so we got to learn to let those things roll off our back. We got to learn to not let stuff steal our joy. We got, I don't want to let anything steal my joy. I don't want to let anything steal my peace. And so I've got to learn to, for all those things that don't matter, I've got to learn to just let them go. I've got to learn to frozen those things. And you should just let it go. We got to be like Elsa. We got to let it go, let it go. Can't hold it back anymore. We got to let it go. You know, so we got to do that. That's what this whole message is, right? And here's the thing. That's part of what this message is. In order for us to do what we actually have to do, the things that don't matter, we have to stop letting them become really big things. But here's the thing. I think there are things worth getting concerned about. This is not a message of don't get worked up. This is a message of let's get worked up about the right things. There are things in life that really matter. There are things in life that absolutely we should be concerned about. There are things in life that I think should cause our our blood pressure to boil. There are things that should cause us to lose sleep. There are things that should dominate our conversations that don't dominate our conversations about things that are going on in our world that actually need need solutions and we might just be able to be part of the solution that we don't talk about. And I think there are things that we need to be concerned about that we don't often concern ourselves with. And so for today, what I would like to do is I want to actually draw our attention to some things that should concern us. Instead of saying, so at the Christmas season, don't let anything steal your joy. I hope that maybe, just maybe, today drives you a little bit crazy so that for the next week or so, you care about what really matters at Christmas. And if you're thinking, well, what, where do we find this in the Christmas story? We actually find this right at the heart of the events of, of Christmas. When Mary, uh, when, when Mary was told about the news of, of the coming Savior, about Jesus, the baby that was going to be born to her, we, we, a couple weeks ago, we studied Mary's first response. We studied what, you know, how Mary responded, that she basically said, God, if, if that's what you want, then yes, I'm in. If that's what you want me to do, if, it, if, if, if my whole, whole reputation is ruined for this, that's fine. If no one believes my story, that's fine. If my fiance won't believe my story, that's fine. If, like, if, if no one believes my story for the rest of my life and everyone thinks that I'm just you know, some kind of woman because of this, I'm, I'm fine with that. I'm in with whatever you want, want me to do. That was her first reaction. But what we find in her second reaction and in a reaction from someone else in the middle of the Christmas story is that Mary was not just going, okay, God, yes, 
Mary said yes because she understood something about the world, and there were some things in the world that needed to be fixed. In, in Luke chapter 1, Mary said this. This is what's in, in this translation. It's called Mary's praise. Other translations call it Mary's song of praise. Other translations call this the Magnificat. It's, it's Mary's song of praise in her response to what God was about to do. It says this in verse 46. And Mary said, My soul praises the greatness of the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, because he has looked with favor on the humble condition of his servant. Surely, she says, surely from now on all generations will call me blessed, because the mighty one has done great things for me, and his name is holy. So Mary's going, okay, you know what? I realize God is up to something big. God is doing something big. God's doing something that is going to shake the entire world, and I get to be a part of it. And so for generation from generation and generation and generation, people are going to go, wow, Mary. People right now will probably not go, wow, Mary, look at her faith and look at her ability to trust in God. But for generation to generation, because of what God's going to do through this baby, people will understand it. People will hear my story and they will call me blessed. But, then that, but that's not the reason she's thanking God. Here's where she goes. She says, his mercy, God's mercy, is from generation to generation on those who fear him. He has done a mighty deed with his arm. And then she says, he has scattered the what? Scattered the proud. She go, whoa, whoa, We went from like, thank God that, you know, he's blessing me to Mary's kind of like going after the idea that there are prideful people in the world and God's about to do something that's actually going to bring them low. He's scattered the proud because of the thoughts of their hearts. Then she says, he has toppled the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has satisfied the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering his mercy to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he spoke to our ancestors. So Mary goes, okay, you want to know what I'm excited about? I'm excited about what God's going to do through this baby. I'm excited about what God is going to do through this baby that's going to be born to me, that's going to be the son of God, that's going to be the savior of the world. I'm excited about what it means for me that generation after generation is going to look and go, Mary, wow, Mary, wow. The faith of Mary, wow, that's unbelievable. Mary, wow, Ooh. But she's like, but she spends way more time talking about there's some things that are wrong in this world, and God's about to do something that's going to make them right. There are, some, there, there are people that are hurting, and God's about to do something about it. There are people who are lonely, and God's about to do something about that. There are people who are wandering in the darkness, and God's about to do something about that. Mary does what, 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 what I would hope that we would all do. Mary says, there are things that are wrong in this world, and I get to be a part in the story of what God is doing to change that. Mary says, I'm, I want to be concerned about what God is concerned with. So, so what's Mary concerned about that God's concerned with? Well, people are hurting. That's not right. And somehow this baby boy that's going to be born to me is part of the solution to the fact that there are people who are hurting. People are broken, and that's not right. And this baby boy that's going to come from me and that somehow is the son of God, he's going to be part of the solution to, the, to people being broken. People are hungry. People literally have no food, and that's not right. And I get to be a part of God doing something to bring about an end to that. People are losing hope. That's not right. And this baby boy. I don't know how it's going to happen, but this baby boy that's going to be born to me, that's the son of God, somehow I, he, we're going to be part of people's hope being restored. People have, are wondering if God is ever going to fulfill his promise, and that's not right. Through this son of, son of God that's going to be born to me, people will know that God is a God who always fulfills his promises. Mary looks and goes, there are people who have lost their way, and that's not right. There are people who are hurting. There are people who are broken. There are people who life has not been just to them. Life has not been fair to them. And for whatever part I can play, 
God is on the move to do something about that. God cares about those people. God cares about the hurting. God cares about the broken. God cares about the hungry. God cares about the lonely. God cares about the wandering, and God cares about the wandering. God cares about those people, and so did Mary. Mary looked and said, look, I want to be concerned with the things that God is ultimately concerned about. And in this moment, we hear from this teenage girl, this passionate, look, here's what's about to happen. God's going to bring the, the, the proud down, and he's going to exalt the lowly. God's going to take the humble, and he's going to lift them up. God's going to take the hungry, and he's going to fill them. God's going to take the lonely, and he's going to give them encourage, bring them companionship. He says, and she says, and God is going to show us his mercy. And to people who did not think about in the Old Testament, when you read the Old Testament, there's not a whole lot of references to God being merciful. There's a lot of references to God being just. There's a lot of references to God being a God who requires a lot of you. But in the New Testament, and starting with Mary, and starting with Mary's family, and starting with Jesus, we understand a new aspect of God's character, that God is merciful. And here's the thing. If it, now, I, I did youth ministry for a long time. I was, I was a youth pastor for a long time. Um, I was a youth pastor for like 12 years, and eight of them were spent in Alamogordo. And, um, and one of the things that I know about like teenage girls in particular is teenage girls have this ability to get really, really passionate and excited about stuff and like get kind of squeaky. And so I, I would imagine like when, when I first read this outside of the context, like I'd be like, Oh, here's a teenage girl getting excited about something. Oh, there's something wrong in the world. We're going to do something about it. And we're going to be the like, I imagine Mary got talking really, really fast, like I do because I'm from Wisconsin. And, and, she, and she's just kind of like bubbling over. And I would imagine any, any grown adult would look at Mary and go, oh, that's just a teenage girl getting excited about stuff, getting passionate about some stuff. And that's just going to fade and it's going to fade and it doesn't really matter. It's just, it's just teenage, it's teenage youth and passion and whatever. And it's great. Oh, we'll see how life goes. And here's the thing. The reason that we know this isn't just teenage passion and in a moment excitement is because Mary actually learned this from somewhere. She learned this from, from her family. She learned to care about the things that matter to God from, from other members of her family. And the, and the, the best example we have of, of her learning from a member of her family was, was from her uncle Zechariah, or as I like to call him, Uncle Zeke. See, Uncle Zeke was the father of John the Baptist, so John the Baptist and Jesus were cousins. And so, and so Uncle Zeke is, is Mary's uncle. And at, at the time that we hear his story, we understand Ze Uncle Zeke to be somewhere between 65 and 70 years old. And for the very first time, he and his wife are going to have a child. They, they, they thought they were well past their, their years where they could have children. And they're told that they're going to have a child. And this child is going to go ahead of the Messiah and is going to go, you know, be, be the one to prepare the way for the, for the Savior of the world, for the, for the coming Son of God. And so he actually, when he's told this, he doesn't believe it. And because he doesn't believe it, he's actually, God shuts his mouth for a while, which is interesting. Like God won't allow him to speak until after the child is born, after the child is dedicated. And so they're at the dedication of their son, John, who would become John the Baptist. And after pronouncing that his name was going to be John, which wasn't a family name, He's, he's able to speak, and the first words out of his mouth are celebration of what God is doing, just like it came out of the mouth of Mary. Here's what, here's what Uncle Zeke said. He said, Then his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, Blessed is the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has visited and provided what? Redemption. And provided redemption for his people. He has raised up, in verse 69, he has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, just as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets in ancient times. Salvation from our enemies and from the hand of those who hate us. 
What's Uncle Zeke excited about? He's like, cool, I got a baby boy. That's awesome. But here's what I'm really excited about. This baby boy is a signal and a start of what God is doing to bring redemption and to bring salvation, to bring redemption and to bring salvation, to bring redemption and to bring salvation. And to people who are lost and broken and hurting, God is bringing redemption that you do not have to stay where you have been. And to people who think that God can never forgive their sins, God has brought salvation. It says this, he has dealt mercifully with our fathers and remembered his holy covenant. There's that word mercifully again. That God, who was not thought at that time by those people as merciful, he goes, no, no, no. We're about to see something new about God, that God is, in fact, merciful. He's dealt mercifully with our fathers and remembered his holy covenant. The oath that he swore to our father Abraham, he has given us the privilege. This is so beautiful. He has given us the privilege since we have been rescued from the hand of our enemies, to serve him without fear. To serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness in his presence all of our days. To Zechariah, who was, a, who was a priest who served at the temple, this was amazing. To think of the idea that you could serve God and approach God without fear. I mean, in those days at that time, they, even, even the priests had such a fear of God that, when they, that once a year they would, uh, there would be one priest would, would be drawn by lot and that person would go and would offer sacrifices for the rest of the people for the sins that were, that, that were committed by accident, for the sins that they forgot to sacrifice for, for the sins of the nation. And that priest would, would be responsible for going into the most holy place in the temple, into the presence of God. And they were so afraid of what if I had done something wrong that I haven't been purified of yet, that they would take and they would tie a rope to the priest's foot so that in case he died while sacrificing to God, they could pull him out because no one could, else could walk in to pull him out. That's how fearful they were. And Zechariah, who had, who had had a rope at one point tied to his foot, says, now because of what God's doing now, we can serve God without fear. Serve God without fear in holiness and righteousness in his presence, not from afar, not, not wondering what God's like, but we can actually be in his presence all our days. And then he begins to talk to, to his baby boy, and he says, and you, child, and you, John, you'll be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways. Here's why. He says, to give his people knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. 33 years before Jesus would go to a cross, Uncle Zeke looked into the future, and Uncle Zeke understood what God was doing right then and right there that would lead to something down the road that would be so unbelievable that, that most of us are still trying to wrap our heads around what, how, how it possibly happened. And Uncle Zeke looked ahead and he said, John, you're going to go ahead of your cousin. But your cousin... He's going to be the son of God, the savior of the world, and he's going to live a perfect life, and he's going to die a death that he does not deserve to die. But on the cross, he won't be shedding his blood for his own sins. He'll be shedding his blood for our sins. And his death and his blood will pay the price so that we can experience salvation and so that we can experience the forgiveness of our sins. So that we don't have to feel like we have to go sacrifice and sacrifice and sacrifice and sacrifice and sacrifice again and sacrifice again and go buy this lamb and go buy these doves and go buy these pigeons and go buy that goat and take them all and take them all and take them all and take them often. No more of that. Uncle Zeke looks forward and goes, we're not doing that anymore. What's happening right now is going to start something brand new. And what's going to be brand new is there's going to be salvation through the forgiveness of sins. Finishes off to say this, because of our God's merciful compassion, 
compassion. Again, that's another word that wasn't often associated with God yet. It's because of God's merciful compassion. In other words, this God has now walked where you walk, has experienced what you experience, has felt what you felt, has been tempted the way you've been tempted. It's because of God's merciful compassion. The dawn from on high will visit us to shine on those who live in darkness and the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace, which is good news. Because here's the thing, if you, if you come in today, and I know I mean, in, a, in, in a place like this, you know, some of us, we walked in and we, and we walked in from some dark places. And we walked in sometimes from pe- being people who have a little, bit, a little bit walked away from God, and maybe right now we're even running away from God, and you're here because it's Christmas and you came with some family and you're, and you're here to you know, check a list off of box, to, to check a, a, a box on the list and make sure you know, that mom's okay because you came to church and all that stuff. And, and you might be in a little bit of darkness right now. But what Uncle Zechariah said is, look, God has come and Jesus came not just to, not just to you know, initiate a different type of religion, but he came to shine light in the middle of our darkness. And so if you're in the middle of a dark place right now, whether it's caused by your own doing or whether it's caused by, by life being a little unfair and causing you to wonder and causing you to wander, God has sent Jesus to shine light into the middle of your darkness. And the second that you look out of the darkness and look to God, is what, what you will find is light that will lead you home and will lead you to peace and will lead you to joy and will lead you to salvation, will lead you to forgiveness, will lead you to all the things that you think you've walked away from but are still right there and are available to you for you. What's Mary concerned about? Mary's concerned about the things that God's concerned about. What's Zechariah concerned about? Zechariah's concerned about redemption, that people that think they, they, can't, they can't change, there is change that's possible. That people who think they're too far gone, God has made salvation possible. For people that think that God is a God of justice and, and, and he's got requirements and requirements and requirements and you better measure up, he says, no, 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 you don't have to measure up, God is merciful. And God is displaying his mercy right now. For people that think God, you know, God could never understand what it's like to be me and to walk in my shoes, God has now shown through Jesus that he is a God of compassion. And he knows what it's like to be you. And he knows what it's like to walk in your shoes. And he knows what it's like to be lonely. And he knows what it's like to be hungry. And he knows what it's like to be tempted. And he knows what it's like to go through trials. And he never failed. He's compassionate, but he never failed. He says, he says now we can serve God without fear. You know what I'm concerned about? There are people who are afraid of God. And now we can know God and serve God without fear. There are people who like are so obsessed with trying to please God, please God, please God, please God. Like, I just got, like, I'm just trying to make sure I'm right with God, right with God, right with God, right with God. And he says, so you make sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice. You, you try, you try, and you try, and you try, and try. And when you fail, you feel like you've absolutely dropped the ball, and God can never be happy with you. He says, now, holiness and righteousness has made, been made possible for you, not because of something that you've done, but because of something that was done for you. And now we have the ability to be in the presence of God. You want to know what Uncle Zechariah was concerned about? He was concerned about what God was concerned about. And what's so beautiful in this story, in, in these two examples, is both of them, they're concerned with, God, with what God is concerned about. They're concerned that like, hey, God is finally doing something about all those things that we've known are wrong, and he's finally about to make it right. But they don't just sit back and go, so yay, God. They go, yay, God, and what do I get to do? Then Mary says, all generations are going to call me blessed because of this baby that's coming from me, and I'm going to raise this boy to be everything he's supposed to be. And Zechariah says, finally, after years and years and years of hoping and praying and hoping and praying, God is going to fulfill his promises, and my boy gets to be a part of it. 
Here's, here's, here's the big deal. It's, it's simply this, that God is on the move. I have a part to play. God is on the move. I have a part to play. God is on the move. I have a part to play. Most of the time as Christians, if I can be honest, we think, we, we think one or two, one of these things is true at, at any given time. And we need to understand that both of these things are true at any given time. God is on the move and I have a part to play. A lot of times we sit back and go, oh, God's on the move. Yay, God. Woo, God. Oh, God's doing something good. Oh, I'm so, so excited. We're just going to see what God's going to do. Yeah. And, and, we, and we sit back and we, we sit back like spectators going, okay, what's God going to do? What's God going to do? Oh, it's going to be so good. And God's going, hey, I want you to stop sitting on the sidelines. I want you to get in the game. That God's on the move and I have a part to play. God is on the move and I have a part to play. That people are hurting and God is on the move. I have to do something about that. That God, the, 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 big, the big idea today is simply this, that God doesn't want you comfortable. God wants you concerned with what concerns him. God doesn't want you comfortable. God wants you concerned with what concerns him. That God doesn't want me comfortable. He wants me to be concerned with what concerns him. And here's a couple of things that I think concern God, and I think that concern God when, when, when God looks at Las Cruces, when God looks at our city, when God looks at our church. I think God wants you to get worked up about the things that, that he gets worked up about. And so I think God wants you caring about lost people finding light and salvation. I think God wants, I, I think when, when, when someone in this city loses hope and loses faith and walks away from God, and walks away from church, I think God goes, no, we got to get them back. And I think there should be something that gets us concerned too. God wants you to care that 90,000 people in our city woke up today and said no to church. I, th- I, think we, I, think like, I think that's something that absolutely breaks God's heart, and I think it should break our heart as well. God wants you to care that 4% of single parents in our city attend church on any kind of regular basis. That single parents have felt like church said no to them, so they've said no to church. I think that breaks the heart of God, and I think it should break our heart as well. I think God wants you to care that there are a lot of hungry kids this Christmas. I think that breaks God's heart. I think it should break our heart as well. I think God really cares that there are cold kids this Christmas, that as the weather turns cold, there are families who can't afford heat, and there are cold kids this Christmas. I think that breaks the heart of God, and I think it should break our heart as well. That there are people who have lost hope in our, like, in our city who have lost hope. There are people that are your friends and your coworkers who have lost hope. There are family members of yours who have lost their way, and God cares deeply about that because people matter to God. And wherever there are people who are hurting and lost and confused, wondering, wandering, God cares. God cares. God cares. God cared about you when you were lost. God cared about you when you were wandering. God cared about you when you were hurting. And God cares about your neighbor and your friend and your coworker and your and your kids as classmates and your kids as classmates' parents and your neighbors and your family, God cares about them just the same way that he cared about you when you were lost and hurting. God cares a lot. And if it's breaking the heart of God, I think it should break our hearts. And here's the thing that I I think is, is kind of important for us to say. The rub with that is if you're asked if you care about that, we all would say, yes. Do, do, I, do I care that, that in, in our city, it, se- it seems like single parents like, that can't find a church to connect to? Yeah, absolutely, I care about that. Do, do, I, do I care that 90,000 people woke up and said no to church and said no to God today? Yeah, I care about that. Do I, do I care that there's cold children this Christmas and hungry children this Christmas? Absolutely, and someone needs to do something about that. And someone needs to do something about that 90,000 number. And someone needs to do something about the, the fact that, you know, to create a place where single, people, single parents can come. And, 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 and NMSU, I mean, good Lord, we live in a city that's got a, a big old college here. And the statistics on that college campus are that 1% of college students connect with any kind of church on a regular basis. Uno. I think that breaks the heart of God. 
I think that it, break, it breaks my heart that, that, that college students feel like churches have said no to them, so they say no to church. I think it breaks the heart of God. And so at some, at some point along the way, we'd go, well, do we care about that? Yeah, of course we care about that. Of course we care about that. Like, of course, that would be stupid not to care about that. But here's the thing. For many of us, we care, and we, and we, and we, don't, and we don't often know how, what, what's, what's our part to play. And so, and so we think, well, someone needs to do something about that. Someone needs to do something about that. Someone needs to do something about that. And I want to tell you a little story about someone and Movement Church. Um, about eight, nine, maybe nine years ago, um, I was I was youth pastoring in Alamogordo, and um, you know because because of the proximity to Las Cruces, we had a, a number of people within our church and a number of, of students who you know graduated, headed over to NMSU, um, headed over to Las Cruces for work, um, headed to Las Cruces to to find whatever their next step was. And, and we kept hearing, like, we'd run into these people either, you know, sometimes when we were at the mall over here, when we were eating over here, when they were back visiting, you know, in Alamogordo for, for whatever reason. And we, I, because I'm a pastor and I cared, I, I would say, like, have you found a church over there, over there yet? And the stories that I would hear were like, well, we, we checked out a couple, but, but, but we're not going anywhere. We checked out a couple, but we're not going to. And I'd say, well, well, why is that? And people would say, well, we, you know, there's, there's good churches, but... But we, we, we feel like we walk in and we have to know everything and know everyone and know everything about everything in order to, to feel like we belong there. And, and we, just, and we don't, don't feel that way. And so we haven't found a place that we can connect with it. And so after a couple of years of hearing these stories and hearing you know, 15, 20 of these stories, I kept thinking and I kept saying, and Jalen got really bothered by it when we were dating. I was like, man, someone's got to do something about that. Someone's got to do something about that. Someone's got to go do something to start a church that like creates a place where people don't have to know everybody in order to feel comfortable, and people don't have to know everything about the Bible in order to feel comfortable, and people don't have to walk in you know knowing everything in order to feel like they can connect with God. Like someone's got to do something about that. Someone's got to do something about that. And Jalen's like, "Can you talk to someone else about this?" And I was like, "No, someone's got to hear this, and I and you, you're going to be it." And so like you know, I, I I thought this so often that I started saying it to like a lot of the youth pastors in the state because I thought someone needs to do something about this, and if I say it enough. Someone will do something about this. So someone needs to do that. Someone needs to do something about that. Someone needs to go start a church. Someone needs to go start a church. Someone needs to go to church. So I was talking to a mentor of mine from back in Minneapolis, and I, he's he's like, you know, how's it going as a, as a youth pastor? I was like, well, one thing I'm really like, I got so many former friends, friends and former students who are in this other city, and they're not connected to church. And I like, someone needs to do something. And like, have you ever had a phone conversation with someone where, like, you know that the, that on the other end of the line they were like pointing in your face as they said it? I, I had that conversation, and he said, you know, you're someone, right? And I thought, I didn't know that until this very moment. <laughs> I thought if I said it long enough, someone would be someone else. And he said, no, 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 you're someone, and you, and you got to figure this out. And so, you know, so Jalen and I were dating, and we try to figure out, and, I'm, and before I bought a ring <laughs> to, to ask her to marry me. And uh, before, before I, you know, popped the question, I had a different question to ask, and I said, you know, hey, just wanted to ask, what would you think about moving to Las Cruces and starting a church if we, if we got married? And she said, I don't know. And I said, hmm, okay, wrong answer, you know, and I'm like, and she came back the next day, and without, without any conversation, because I didn't want to make it seem like, well, we don't get married if, you know, you know, honey bears off the table, if you, you know, like, because apparently I call myself honey bear, like, like, so like, you know, like, hey, this is off the table, like, didn't say a word about it. the next day she came and she said, but that's a church that needs, a, that, that's a city that needs a, a different type of church. Let's go do it. I thought, sweet. Will you marry? You know, and I didn't ask her that, but I was like, no, I don't have to return the ring. And so um, 
here's the, here's the thing. The reason I tell you that story is today, I mean, today it's, it's a low day and there's not like, you know, people are traveling and people are home for holidays and whatever. But today, four years, four years after we started this church, on, on most given weekends, we'll have 200 adults and, and, and kids and, and students and high school and middle school students that are part of this church. And the recurring story that's, that's a part of our church for so many of you is, you know, I grew up in church, I was a part of church for a long time, walked away from God, walked away from church, walked away from this, kind of walked away from everything. But then someone invited me to this place. And, and when I came here, I heard something and I saw something and it was so new and it was so fresh that God, God began to speak to me all over again. And your story and the stories of so many people around you are people who had been hurt by church and who had walked away from church and who were in darkness and who had you know, lost hope and who had lost faith and found it again. And I don't tell you that so that you think, man, wow, Chris's obedience led to something. So I, I don't tell you that at all for, the, for that point. The reason I tell you that is simply to help you understand, to someone, you're someone. To someone in your life, you're someone. To someone in your life that needs encouragement, you're someone. To someone in your life who needs someone to step up to the plate and say, hey, I know this might risk the relationship, but I know you're walking in darkness. Would you like to, like, would you like to come to, to church with me to help you find light? To someone, you're that someone. To someone who's hurting, you might be the person that brings healing. To someone that's wandering, you might be the person that provides some direction. To someone who's lost faith and lost hope, you might just be the person who helps, the, who helps restore hope. To someone, you're someone. And if you don't step up to the plate and if you simply sit back and say someone needs to do something, Someone needs to do something. Someone needs to do something. Some, nothing will happen. For something to happen, someone has to step up. And I dare say it to you today, someone is you. And you need to do something. And you need to speak life. And you need to speak encouragement. And you need to speak hope. And you need to speak life. And you need to be the person that shines the light that God wants to shine so that everyone can know that the good news is good news for them. So here's the question I want to ask you today as we end. Are we willing to be the good news? Are you willing to be the good news? See, here's what I believe, and here's what Zechariah believed, and here's what Mary believed, and here's what, here's, what, here's what we believe as a church. The good news is good news for everyone. I thought that might get some amen, so let me say it again. The good news is good news for everyone. It just is. The good news is good news. I mean, when, when you hear about it in the Christmas stories, it's good news for all mankind. The good news is good news for every man. The good news is good news for every woman. The good news is good news for every child. The good news is good news for every empty nester. The good news is good news for every college student, for every high school student, every middle school student, every family with college kids, every single mom, every single dad. The good news is good news for every man, woman, child, no matter what race, no matter what, what the background. God has given good news of grace great joy for all people. The good news is good news for all people. The good news is good news for everyone. But for everyone to understand that the good news is good news for them, they might need you to step into the world to be good news. You might need to speak encouragement this Christmas where it's easy to, to just let, the, let a moment go by. There's someone in your life who needs you to step in with influence and to step in and be real bold with an invitation that they haven't given church a thought in years, but this is a time, and in January at the beginning of a new year, is a time where people are open to new things and open to returning to some things that have been good for them in the past. It's a time where maybe we need to step up with some influence and some invitations and be bold so that people can find hope and find life in Jesus and find out that the good news is good news for 
for them. There may be some people who are hurting in your, in your world, and you need to step in with some light, and you need to step in with some peace and some joy, and be the person that brings healing for them to know that the good news is good news for them. There's someone in you, that you work with, there's someone that you're neighbors with, that they have lost hope. And the only way that they will find hope again is for you to step in and be a person who speaks hope and speaks life. There's someone who's, who's, who's this year, they're not going to have the Christmas that, they, that they're used to. They can't put food on the table. They can't, they can't give gifts to their kids. There's someone in your world that, that, that they're experiencing that. And for them to know that the good news is good for them, it might mean that there's some financial sacrifice on your part so that you can help them find a good Christmas this year. There's someone that maybe needs your, your, your sacrifice of, of your, or your generosity of your time or your finances for them to know Jesus the way that Jesus wants to be known, to, for them to know that the good news is good for them. I'm just telling us, for, for all of us, there is someone in our world, someone in our life, someone in our workplace, someone in our neighborhood, somewhere, someone that we go to school with, that it's time for us to step up and be the good news and be the person of encouragement and be the person of hope and be the person of joy and be the person of peace for them to know that the good news is good news for them. So let's step up. Let's be someone. Let's be someone's someone. Let's be the someone that someone needs us to be. And let's watch, because God is on the move, and we have a part to play. And God is on the move, and you have a part to play, 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 and I have a part to play. God is on the move. We have a part to play. So let's play our part, and let's watch as God answers, and God shows up, and God does what God wants to do in and through us. Let me pray for you.